from 88.7 FM WXDU Durham and available via podcast on the World Wide Web. This is Shooting the Bull, your weekly survey of what's happening in the Bull City, brought to you by the voices of the Durham blogosphere. The opinions expressed on this program belong to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect those of WXDU or Duke University. Good evening, folks. I'm Barry Reagan. I write at dependableerection.blogspot.com, and my co-host is named Kevin Davis. I write at bullcityrising.com, and I try and keep computer systems running when they crash and go all to hell. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of Shooting the Bull here on WXDU. Kevin, it's, it's good to see you. I wasn't sure you were going to make it. Uh, um, for those of you who are, uh, who, are, who are listening closely, you might be able to tell that Kevin is, uh, is slightly out of breath. Uh, he has just arrived in the studio. Um, I, you know, Matt and I, and, and, and Matt Saldana from the Independent Weekly is going to be our guest uh, tonight. We've been talking about what we were going to uh, uh, discuss, and uh, you know, we're we're actually ready to start talking. Uh, you know, Why don't so you go ahead. Don't, don't wait for me here. Let's let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> All right. So so so, listeners, um, we have been over the past several weeks discussing uh, the stormwater uh, issue in town. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Kathy Baratan from North Carolina State University and the Ellerbe Creek Watershed Association talk about. Uh, some of the the science uh, behind stormwater management issues. Last week, we had Melissa Norton uh, and Bill Kalkoff from uh, Downtown Durham Incorporated talk about some of the issues facing developers uh, in light of some of the some of the new rules that are that are coming uh, or maybe coming online tonight. Uh, we have Matt Saldana, who's been covering the issue for the Independent Weekly for the past uh, five or six months. It seems to me that I've seen your byline on stories like this. Welcome to the program, Matt. Great, thanks for having me. Um, so, so let's start off by trying to define exactly what it is that we're talking about. There are a number of overlapping uh, issues. When we talk about stormwater management, we talk about Jordan Lake rules, we talk about the donut hole. What exactly are we talking about? What do all these things mean? You know, see if you can help me figure out what the issues really are. Right. Well, there, yeah, as you said, there's a number of different issues, and they all seem to overlap. And um, so starting with the donut hole, which is the topic of conversation last week on um, on your show, basically in Durham, it was recently revealed that there's a 25-mile area where no stormwater regulations exist. So essentially, if you were to build, um, uh, you know, build within this 25-mile area, which is mostly downtown, south of um, 147, uh, you wouldn't have to treat your stormwater runoff, or um, you wouldn't have to offset it by buying uh, conservation land. Um, and so that tends to be a problem because, um, you know, uh, with development, nitrogen and other uh, solids will be present in the stormwater, which will flow into, um, for example, to south of, south of Durham is Jordan Lake, which is a drinking water source for much of the region. So um, to the north of Durham, uh, much of that is regulated by Noose River Basin. In addition, you mentioned Ellerbee Creek, Falls Lake. Uh, south of Durham is regulated by um, the Jordan Lake stormwater. So... Um, uh, uh, excuse me, the water, Jordan Lake watershed. So basically, um, there's these two heavily polluted uh, water sources, one south of Durham um, in Jordan Lake and one north of Durham in the Noose River Basin. And those are protected by the lands that surround them because that land drains into those waters. But somehow, in the middle of Durham, there's a donut hole that escaped all those regulations. And, and you know, that's that's got to be one of the questions here, Matt, is... And I don't know if this has come up in any of your research, but Wake County, Raleigh and Cary implemented these rules back in 2000, 2001. How did Durham go a decade not implementing these rules? Well, from what I can tell, Raleigh didn't really have a choice because Raleigh falls entirely within the Noose River 
basin. And so the state mandated uh, Noose River rules. And, um, and, and when we talk about um, the Noose River rules, Jordan Lake rules are what's coming up next. And that, that may be um, uh, where the state um, – currently it's being discussed within the state legislature. Um, if the legislature approves it, as, uh, as recommended by um, the Environmental Management Commission – uh, Durham will be subject to Jordan Lake rules, which are essentially just state-mandated rules for um, treating heavily polluted water sources. Uh, from what I can tell, um, I don't know that I, I don't know who to blame for Durham having the donut hole, but I think it might even even be just a, a bit of fortune that they managed to just escape both of these heavily protected areas. Um, Kerry um, did not fall entirely within Noose River Basin, but uh, Kerry decided to um, to take on the rules for all of its jurisdiction. Doesn't every piece of land have to fall within some drainage basin? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, yeah. And the, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the water goes somewhere. Right, right exactly. And actually, this, from what I can tell, the donut hole is actually technically within the Cape Fear River Basin, but also some of it drains into Jordan Lake. Um, so it's kind of this nexus of Cape Fear, Jordan Lake, and it's just north of the Jordan Lake Protected Area, which is a five-mile area from Jordan Lake. And it's so. So I guess I guess the answer would be that the, the Cape Fear River Basin just doesn't have nearly as many regulations. Now, Matt, in your article in last week's Independent, you were, I think, the first person in town reporting on this issue to note that there actually are some on-site mitigation requirements, even for fairly dense development. And I know this this has apparently confused so many people, even some of the folks we've had on with. Uh, development industry background haven't really either known that or, or acknowledged it. Uh, what what are the specifics, and, and have you had a sense from any folks you've talked to as to whether this would really hurt uh, what I think a lot of people consider to be sort of a greening anti-sprawl initiative of increasing density downtown? Right. Um, and so that that was the argument um, by um, downtown developers and uh, especially um, Bill Kalkoff and um, Downtown Durham Inc., who was on your show last week, um, was saying that these rules penalized, um, you know, redevelopers who want to, you know, gr- have green development, transit-oriented development that um, in the downtown core. Um, their argument was that um, – okay, I'm trying to break this down. Essentially um, – how, how the proposed rule, the proposed stormwater citywide stormwater regulations would would uh, would shake out is that everyone would be subject to some sort of treatment uh, standards, and so typically that is referred to as BMPs or best market practices, which are stormwater retention ponds, um, sand filters, and the like. And so their argument was that well, these sorts of um, these sorts of um, structures are easier to build in the suburbs, and it's it's less costly to and less unsightly to have a huge stormwater retention pond, which essentially just captures the water and treats it. Um, but what that argument overlooked was that actually within the proposed ordinance, there would be an accounting for dense development, especially development that had already been dense and purchased by a redeveloper. Right, and, and I know we, we talked on the show last week about some of the off-site mitigation that could be done with protecting a, a very small amount of acreage off-site. But I think your article last week actually mentioned that there was some minimal on-site that even had to be done in that case. Right. Um, the way that it, it's almost like a matrix right now, it, this has been proposed by Paul Wiebke, who's the uh, uh, interim stormwater uh, manager of Durham. He, the way it, it shakes down is that uh, if you have ninety percent, if you purchase the property ninety percent impervious surface, um, you can entirely offset your nitrogen um, uh, production with an offsite um, conservation land purchase. If you're if you're between forty percent and ninety percent, um, ba- basically you have the option of of combining. It's it's it, the way he described it to me is that there's all these different um, you know sort of 
variables and you, you purchase more land, but then you have less on-site treatment. The way he described it to me is actually very minimal on-site treatment. It was, it was a matter of percentages, and uh, it really was per year. It was a very small percentage. So, so basically, we're trying to make progress here. In other words, if there's a, a, a building in town that sits entirely on a lot where everything is impervious, so it's above the 90% threshold, we are still requiring the redeveloper of that building to mitigate some of the stormwater that's running into the streams, even though it has not been done that way in the past. Is that correct? Well, if it's entirely impervious surface, no. They would only have to have off-site treatments. If it was less than 90%, they would have to have some on-site treatments, but some of that could be as simple as as reducing the amount of impervious surface. So you could reduce some of the pavement, you know, uh, if, and I, I didn't have exact figures, but what I understand, if it was pretty uh, densely built, like a, you bought a parking lot and uh, you could reduce some of that pavement and that would be But your you, you still would have to do some offsite treatment, right. even though that parking lot currently exists and no offsite mitigation is associated with that piece of property. So there is a cost to the developer. We are asking the developer to bear some of the cost of cleaning up our 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 water. So right. I just want to make sure I'm understanding exactly. That. And, okay. and 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 I guess and the the argument for that is that that what Durham wants is to have a um, a citywide standard so that um, and, and what the developers are arguing is saying that we want to encourage people to make it more you know beneficial to to build downtown. But the counter argument to that is that you know it's beneficial to everyone to have these preserved you know um, water sources, especially when they're drinking water sources and. Um, you know, if, if you were to build any building, you would have to have stormwater treatment. In downtown, dense downtown redevelopment, um, it could be as simple as purchasing, you know, four-tenths of an acre of conservation land, and then you would be set. So, so that conservation land would have an easement on it. It would be located somewhere downstream, and it would be um, unbuildable for the foreseeable future and probably into eternity if the conservation easement is written correctly. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, how does that – how do we tie in now to – Jordan Lake rules, and what um, what's the difference between the Jordan Lake rules and the rules that we're asking our downtown redevelopers to follow? Well, um, the Jordan Lake rules uh, would be state-mandated, and uh, it's like I said, it's up for discussion in the state legislature. Uh, the you know Environmental Management Commission has already recommended these rules as a way of treating a severely impaired water source in Jordan Lake. Um, but because of the rulemaking processes in North Carolina, the legislature has the opportunity to um, reconsider those rules before they take effect. Um, so Jordan Lake rules, um, you know, would actually would would, ha- would carry a heavy price tag for city of Durham. Uh, the city has estimated anywhere from five hundred to six hundred million dollars in the high end range of of um, actually retrofitting development with these um, sort of um, you know um, active stormwater treatment methods. Um, the citywide uh, stormwater standards ordinance that's being proposed um, that would uh, you know essentially it would, it would close the loophole, and that also will be mandated by the state um, because it's it's a um, essentially it's a um, Durham has has opted into one of these uh, five year um, agreements with with the state regulators. And as part of that agreement, and, and they're just in that agreement because they're a certain size and they have certain polluted water sources near the city, um, essentially to cooperate with that agreement. And that by June 30th, they would have to have some sort of citywide standards. And, and, and it actually would not have to be that specific. They would just have to have um, standards throughout the city. So, so, so you've, you've uh, told us, Matt, that there's really these two halves to this. There's the half of 
uh, future development and the standards that they have to, abhor, to uh, adhere to. Then there's this question of what we have to do for cleanup retroactively of developments like you know Fairfield, Parkwood, uh, Chancellor's Ridge, some of these places, and they may already have BMPs on site, but I think most of them don't in many cases. You know, they've, they've operated under very loose rules. And this 570, 600 million number has been floated around. Uh, what's the, uh, this is a very controversial point. I don't know if it has any traction anywhere, but what's the theory of making that a citywide bond-issued type of cost versus allocating it against the homeowners associations who, I believe in most cases, the HOA agreement says that uh, the the homeowners in in total are responsible for common area maintenance right. in most of these. You know, usually the city will accept the streets for maintenance, but if common areas are required, it would seem like a BMP would sit on a common area. Right? Uh, is that is that an idea that's getting any play anywhere? Well, I mean, it sounds it sounds like a reasonable idea to me. But to, to anyone who doesn't live in the Jordan Lake <laughs> rules right. area, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, I, I guess the sense with these rules is that it's going to be a heavy burden for Durham to to bear, and you know, one of the terms you know, thrown around is, you know, is unfunded mandate, which essentially is what it is. But at the same time, um, there's a sense that, and this is where the donut hole kind of ties into the Jordan Lake rules, is that we have allowed, you know, for better, for worse, we have allowed development to occur. Um, you, you mentioned some of the um, subdivisions uh, where, you know, developers were, we, we recorded business and we recorded developers, but, you know, um, we may have to pay a price for allowing them to develop without, um, without having... Um, you know, stormwater standards. Can you give me a sense, Matt, of the players in the Jordan Lake rules uh, um, controversy or, or, or conversation, at least? I know there are multiple layers of government. There are counties that are involved. There are municipalities that are involved. There may, in fact, be homeowners associations, as as Kevin just alluded to. And that that's, you know, if you're talking about like a, you know, a homeowners association of 150 to 350 homes, that becomes a pretty heavy burden if you're looking at, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of money. So, so give me a sense of, yeah, I, 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 what, a thousand dollars a home? I, I think, I think you probably, I think you could be looking at more than that. I, but, I, uh, you I know. don't know. But no, I, BMPs are not that expensive. Well, to build. well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, Matt, give me, give me a sense of, of who, who the players are in uh, in this game. Well, one of the one of the interesting things is that uh, the reason this is being discussed in the legislature is that a bill was introduced um, to strike down the Jordan Lake rules, and it was interesting looking at the uh, sponsors of that bill. Uh, none of them were from Durham, um, which has a you know Democratic um, delegation. Um, you know, they were actually from a lot of the folks were from upstream from from Jordan Lake. So you know, that's something I definitely want to look into. Why do these you know are they and, and they tended to be Republican, but did they have an ideological um, you know, um, you know, reason to oppose um, unfunded mandates, or were, did they have some other stake in it? Um, so that's something to, to look at. So you have at the state level, you have legislators who have who put this this bill in, into place. Um, you, you mentioned the homeowners association, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, it would be against developers' interests, you know, who are tr- and and people who want. Uh, development to come downtown, um, although ultimately it would be the city who would pay the price. So actually, the city of Durham has an interesting, uh, you know, perspective on this. They they actually have hired a lobbyist to, uh, and, and I think they retained them for him for a hundred thousand dollars to fight the Jordan Lake rules. But they, they wanted to make sure it was kind of a PR campaign too. They wanted to make sure that they weren't against all Jordan Lake rules. They were for some regulations, but they were just against you know the five hundred million dollars right. they had to pay for it. Yeah, okay. Well, when this is the this is the double edged sort of this, right? And you know, the Alamance County upstream is where Greensboro has, as I've understood it, a very uh, you know, textile-oriented, historically manufacturing, more of a blue-collar economy. You know, they have a lot more issues with runoff, and you know, they've, they've been less, I think, concerned about good growth than, than some parts of the Triangle like Orange and Durham County have. 
So clearly it's in Durham's interest to have clean water, but maybe maybe some city council folks thinks it's, think it's not in our interest to have you know, super expensive water. Right, and, that, and that's the thing. And it, it, like you said, it, it's fascinating because, you know, and um, it's kind of they're almost caught between these two things. They they want they have progressive notions of, uh, I think Eugene Brown put it, you know, we're all environmentalists at heart, but we're going to have to start, you know, being environmentalists with our wallets too. So. Yeah. And, and the, now the other thing that's come up, and I think it came up in some of your articles, Matt, I know it's come up in some of the other press articles, is this question of the causeway. This idea that, you know, we, we joke about Durham being the butt of jokes sometimes, and we got the butt end of Jordan Lake, and, you know, there's this, this causeway that lets uh, people from Chatham County, you know, waste gas commuting over to, over to Wake County and driving their big SUVs, and yet it traps more effluent up uh, in our part of, of the lake. Is there anything to that, or is this just feel-good stuff that, that we're hearing to make us feel better about wanting to oppose the Jordan Lake rules? Right. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I actually haven't reported much on, on the causeway, but I, I, th- I think that... that um, that you bring up an important point that it isn't you know we talk about Durham and Jordan Lake and and a lot of, as you said I've, uh, as Barry mentioned I have written quite a few articles about Jordan Lake and sometimes I wonder you know why anyone would care about it but it is a regional issue um, you know we may be the ones polluting it um, and perhaps as you, as you mentioned uh, you know Alamance or drivers between counties may be polluting it uh, additionally but it also is a drinking water source for Orange Chatham uh, portions of RTP Owasa. Um, Morrisville, you know, the list goes on. So and, and it, potentially know. in the future for Durham. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, yeah, we was what, slated as a, an emergency water source in the drought. And uh, I think Becky here on uh, county commissioner put it, you know, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be drinking that water one day. So it's in our own interest to make sure it stays clean. It's a complicated issue. So speaking of which, um, we've got uh, this recent dust up that happened this week around a school site down on Scott King Road. Um, and the listserv emails are already flying about this one about folks concerned that a site where a, I think a 71 home uh, development was blocked on 44 acres may now become an elementary school and a, a middle school. And it seems like some of these issues about uh, growth but also water quality are, are coming to play at this. Right. And I actually um, – and I, ha- I have been – Looking at that issue, I haven't reported on it yet, but uh, but I guess I guess I, I see an analogy to another story I did in uh, in the Falls Lake um, in, in um, watershed in Raleigh, and uh, and and essentially what happened. My story was there was that Quest Academy, which is a, a charter school. Um, you know, got a um, you know got a pass on what they had. They had their um, you know buffers, basically natural stream buffers, to anywhere that had anywhere that naturally collected water, like a wetlands area, had to have a hundred foot buffer zone, um, uh, one hundred uh, fifty foot to one hundred foot riparian buffer. So, so essentially, it's the same issue. It's it's um, in this school, from what I understand, we'd be building within that critical watershed area of Jordan Lake, or at least a protected watershed area. Um, but you know, schools sometimes you know get a pass on those things because um, usually they're they can be zoned anywhere. They can be any zoning area, and, uh, and you know, of course, politics come into play. It's hard to you know it becomes politically more difficult to oppose the construction of a school. So um, so anyway, so so that is coming up through the county commission, and I understand uh, Becky Heron was upset because it was placed on the on the agenda at the last minute, and it seems like. And I, I, w- I would w- want to bring up too uh, with Jordan Lake it, um, that also happened this week with um, NNO reported that that um, Joe Bowser inserted the Jordan Lake um, another Jordan Lake rule discussion that we can talk about, uh, which is the construction on in the crit- critical uh, area the 751 assemblage that that was placed on the agenda at the last minute. Um, 
And I don't know if you want to launch into that, but... <laughs> I, I, I do. I would like to remind folks that uh, you're listening to Shooting the Bull with Kevin Davis and Barry Reagan. Our guest tonight is Matt Saldana from the Independent Weekly. We're talking about stormwater. We're talking about Jordan Lake. We've been talking about the Jordan Lake rules. One of the issues that um, that, that has arisen around Jordan Lake is this, uh, this 751 uh, development that, that we're going to be talking about. And the controversy, as I understand it, is that about a year and a half or two years ago, uh, the developer... Uh, the proposed developer of this land, funded a study to define what this critical area is around uh, around the lake. And lo and behold, um, the, the, the new survey showed that he could, in fact, build his development where he wanted to. Um, and Frank Duke, who at the time was the planning director uh, for the city and county planning department of, uh, of Durham, accepted this map. Uh, there was some controversy over whether Frank had the authority to accept the map. It went to uh, some some state-level agency, I don't even remember which one, and that decision was approved, and that's where we stand now, although people are at least urging the county to conduct another survey of the lake. Have I, have I, am I understanding yeah, I, I think that? Yeah, I think you, you, you nailed it. I mean, it's, it's a very complex issue, and, um, and you're right. In 2006, Frank Duke did, did accept that. Um, the Unified Development Ordinance, which he helped author, had just been passed, and that had some language in there about the, the planning director being able to make some administrative decisions uh, for these watershed boundaries, which essentially are, so like I said earlier, the watershed is just the area of land where um, the, the um, rainwater will drain into a lake or um, a water which, which is actually much bigger than 50 to 100 feet or, or even half a right, mile. I exactly. mean, it's, it's a huge area. When yeah. you look at the maps for what the, what the watershed is for Jordan Lake, it's huge. It's half the Piedmont almost. Right, right, exactly. And then that, that just gets, they, they break down the most critical portions of that into the critical area, which in Durham is one mile from um, drinking water sources, and then five miles is a protected area. So um, uh, critical area it has severely limits um, development. So as far as uh, talking about dense development, you, you can't build on more than 7% seven impervious surface. So, you know, for every 100 acres, you can only build on seven. So this uh, proposed 751 assemblage development would be extremely high-density development um, of, you know, 500,000 square feet of office retail space and uh, roughly uh, 1,300 residential units. Um, and it was located within this critical area. So it essentially would be impossible within this area. So um, Neil Hunter, who owned the land at the time, commissioned a survey, and it actually not only did it redetermine the critical area, it actually redetermined where the lake um, began and ended. Uh, but he only uh, he only analyzed one corner of the lake, which is actually ironically the most um, impaired and you know <laughs> polluted area of the lake, the northeast arm of the lake. So um, you know, uh, so you know, it was an incomplete survey at best, but and it had gotten ushered through through the former planning director, the state division of water quality found that that actually had violated state administrative code. Um, so what the county did was they they looked at that. They actually found out later in 2008 that this had happened. You know, essentially two years later, almost three years later, they found it had happened. They decided, well, what are we going to do? They, they um, found it inside a donut <laughs> hole. Is yeah, that yeah, where exactly. they were looking for? It? That's where all these problems lie. <laughs> so um, so they actually had an option, and there was a, mo a motion. It was actually the last public hearing of the former um, uh, Board of County Commissioners, um, which had, you know, was in December 08. Right. And, uh, and they had an option to actually conduct an entire independent survey of the whole lake, and let's get it right. You know, maybe this survey is right, but, you know, it's just one portion of it, and we want to make sure we have, you know, uh, transparency and independence, and we want to make sure we get this right. Uh, so they actually voted 3-2 to two to not commission that independent survey. They instead voted to resubmit Hunter survey, and the Division of Water Quality actually accepted it as a survey. They said that, you know what, we understand that this was actually handled improperly. Uh, we understand that it is um, only 
analyzing one portion of this lake, which is not what we would want or recommend as a, as a uh, you know, a, a, a state uh, committee. And uh, But, you know, we, we're, we're looking at this information, and it appears to be correct, and we're going to take the county in its word, and we approve the survey. So... You know, the developers at that point were rejoicing and saying, okay, we can we can get our... We also had to rezone the area, too, into mixed use. And, um, you know, they wrote letters to the commission and that fact that they said, okay, this is final and binding. But the only problem is that the state regulators in their decision specifically said that it was in Durham's hands, um, Durham County and city, um, which actually is going to be interesting going forward. They both have to... What, what they're going to have to do is amend the, um, co- um, the, the comprehensive plan and the unified development ordinance where the zoning analysis are contained. So, you know, this requires a public hearing, right? I mean, any, any changes in government, any uh, amendments to this, these documents, which we're bound by, uh, need to go before a public hearing and, and be approved in a setting, which is not what happened originally. Um, and actually, what I've been reporting over the past couple of weeks is the developer is very upset with that notion. And uh, um, actually, just a few minutes before I came on here, I, I posted a blog. He, um, a lawyer for, they're called Southern Durham Development. It's Neil Hunter is now a minority shareholder. He sold the land to this company, uh, and they're seeking to develop 751. They wrote a letter comparing the UDO to the Bible. Um, this is an analogy, keep, keep in mind, but um, the UDO is the Bible by his analogy. This was uh, 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 attorney uh, William Bryan. Uh, and uh, any maps uh, in Durham are the equivalent of children's uh, illustrations in a, in a children's Bible. So, <laughs> and this was his argument to not have a public hearing. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess one thing we kind of forget uh, with all this is that, you know, all these you know mysterious things are happening donut holes are appearing and um but uh you know at the end of the day we have we at least have the faith that we can um you know have this vetted publicly and and uh and and that our elected officials will be accountable for their decisions but um and it appears that that county commissioners are holding holding to it the county attorney chuck kitchen said you know what it's it's tough luck but we're going to have a public hearing, so that that's what we're uh, we're headed for. So and, and even um, even uh, the Herald Sun, if I'm not mistaken, has editorialized in favor of conducting another survey mm. of uh, of of the lake just to remove uh, you know the the uncertainty. I mean, it's. It, it's clearly the perception of a conflict of interest. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say it's even more than the perception of a conflict of interest. But, you know, if, if I have a financial incentive to have uh, the survey result in, you know, in saying a particular thing and I pay for the survey and lo and behold, the survey says, yeah, exactly what my financial interests are. I mean, that, to me, that's just definition. Right. Exactly. And that, interest. and that's and that was there. Um, that was Neil Hunter's uh, defense. And I, I, um, I spoke with the attorney uh, Patrick Biker of Southern Durham Development. That was his defense. He said, "Why would any, um, you know, upstanding engineer do something that was, you know, that was morally wrong?" And no one's accusing that engineer of doing, you know, of fudging the numbers. I mean, we, we don't have the proof right. to do it, and, and right. you know, it's not in our purview to do it. But, I mean, the, the fact is they're standing by that clear appearance of impropriety. Um, and um, just going along with that, one of the reasons why they submitted this, they said, you know what, this is better information. This is, the old surveys were conducted with 1972 U.S. Geological Survey quad maps, and they're, you know, th- this is GIS mapping technology. It's better information, so, you know, we have to go yeah. with the better information. If that's true, let's go with better information for the entire lake, and you know, and play it out so that so that, um, as you said, there isn't the. Is, is there a, is there a, a, a joint, um, you know, aggregation of city and county governments that are around Jordan Lake that could pay for the survey of the entire lake? I mean, it shouldn't be Durham's responsibility to survey the entire lake, should right? It? And there has been discussion about. There is there is um, um, 
I think actually even even just this uh, this past year there there has been at least talks of forming an alliance or if there is one it's kind of loosely formed. Um, but actually recently the county and city did meet in their um, joint um, city county planning commission and there was discussion about you know maybe we should partner up with Chatham County or Orange County who have a vested interest in in, in the quality of this lake since they drink its water. All right. Well, Matt, I want to I want to thank you for um, for for joining us tonight on shooting the bull. Uh, very informative. Matt Saldana writes at uh, at the uh, for the Independent Weekly at uh, indieweek.com. You have uh, your own blog at uh, at, at Indie Week. Well, we right? have a new news blog called The Triangulator. We're trying to uh, keep up with with you too, um, and uh, it's hard sometimes. Hey, I'm, but... I'm taking a month <laughs> off, so it should be easy for you to yeah. keep up with me. But uh, we love reading both read both of your blogs every day, and uh, we try to blog as well at Triangulator and indieweek.com. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate it, Matt. That's great. All right, yeah, Kevin. Thank we, you, Matt. Um, we, uh... we actually had uh, had a couple of bits of sad news. Um, in uh, in in Durham this week, that uh, I wanted to um, make sure that my um, thoughts and, and best wishes go out to Alan Doyle and uh, and and his family. Um, uh, Alan was a guest on the program uh, before he moved to Louisville. Um, I, thought, I think, and, in fact, it was probably his last uh, his last media interview, uh, except maybe for the with the press in town. That's right, and and you know, doing his job um, just this week in uh, in Louisville, um, touring uh, an an abandoned building that um, uh, that is being rehabbed in in downtown Louisville and. Uh, a stairway collapsed, and uh, he was on it, and uh, he's been in the hospital for a couple of days. So uh, we really um, um, hope that he gets better uh, soon. And and, and, uh, and I think and, I think the latest yeah. news that I've heard, and I, I I should caution listeners that this is from emails midday today. I haven't had time to blog about it due to some uh, same reasons I was running late to the show tonight. Uh, but apparently uh, uh, he has uh, has uh, regained consciousness and isn't showing any permanent neurological damage. And you know, there's there's obviously some significant injuries, and he's still listed in serious condition. But uh, I know everyone's wishing uh, wishing the best for Alan. Uh, you know, people in town agreed with Alan. They disagreed about him uh, with Alan at times, but I don't think anyone ever doubted his passion. No, he's, uh, and, and he was a great guy. Um, I also want to note, guy, Barry. He, well, he was a great guy when he was in Durham. I have <laughs> look, no idea. Look, Barry, I started <laughs> my blog post off. <laughs> I started my blog post off about about him by say, calling him recently departed. Uh, 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 so you're, you're no, I got I got emails from from readers right, about that. Right. You're, you're you're touchy on that. Well, Alan is a great guy, and we wish him a speedy recovery. And uh, we want to note uh, note the passing of Horton Foot. Um, the uh, Academy Award-winning uh, screenplay writer, who uh, is the author of Main Street, which is being produced, and uh, we hope to have some uh, some in-house uh, insight on uh, on that production. So, uh, folks, I'm Barry Reagan. I write occasionally at uh, dependableerection.blogspot.com, <laughs> and I, I'm Kevin Davis. I'm these days writing occasionally at bullcityrising.com. Thank you for joining us on Shooting the Bull. We'll uh, at least one of us will see you on the blogosphere in the next uh, next few days, and we'll he- hear you here back on the radio next week. Have a great week, folks. 